It's upfront and it's candid. This is Unrestricted. What's happening, everyone? Welcome back to another edition of Unrestricted. This week, I sit down with my good buddy, Brooks Bollinger. Brooks and I were teammates with the Vikings. Uh, He first started his career at the University of Wisconsin, where he was a starting quarterback his redshirt freshman year and won the freaking Rose Bowl. Uh, Had a great career at Wisconsin, played seven years in the NFL for several teams, Uh, went on to be a high school football coach, and then a college coach coaching quarterbacks at the University of Pitt for the Pitt Panthers, uh, is now retired from all of football, and he's a vice president over at Bell Bank. Brooks is just an awesome guy. You guys are going to love Brooks. Uh, he's, he's just so sincere, so knowledgeable, uh, a deep thinker, a critical thinker, um, always trying to get better. And it shouldn't surprise you, uh, the fact that he had a great career as a, as a quarterback in college and the NFL. Uh, I think you're going to love our discussion. We get deep into some topics. We get deep into one of the things that he talks about with football, one of the things that he learned from playing football and the thing that he cherishes sort of a life lesson, something that you won't hear oftentimes from former players. Uh, it's not a cliche answer. And, and this answer, we kind of go deep into it. And I think a lot of student athletes, a lot of current players, uh, parents, especially, I think can really learn a lot from the things that he has to say and the things that he learned from playing football. And then at the end of our, our conversation, because he had played with several teams, I wanted to ask him, man, some of these guys that you played with, I don't want to completely date ourselves, but are, you know, big time household names uh, that he played with. I want to get his thoughts on guys like Vinny, Vinny Testaverde with the Jets, Wayne Corbett. He's got a great story about Wayne Corbett. Uh, he also played in, in Dallas with Terrell Owens and Tony Romo. And so we just kind of go through the long list of guys that he's played with and kind of got his perspective on each one of those guys. So can't thank Brooks enough for sitting down with me sharing his story and his thoughts. And here he is on Unrestricted. Hi, Brooks Bollinger. Hey, Ben. How are you? Uh, I'm doing fantastic, man. How you doing? Doing well. That's great. Um, it's been, what, about a week since we've said that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like most of these podcast guests, either I've never met them. Um, so I, had a, I had a regenerative uh, farming couple that came in, and it's the first time ever I – well, that was so early in my podcast too, but like I've never met them. I'm like, hey – Cody, great to meet you. You know, Carly, great to meet you. They sat down. I don't know. They could have been serial killers. Um, so I kind of took a chance. But they're <laughs> thankfully fantastic. they weren't. Yeah, they're fantastic people. But anyway, uh, you're probably the one guest that I've had so far that we talk normally, like on a, on the regular via text, or you and I were just sitting down having a drink last week. So which one's easier or harder? You know, I would say. Well, we haven't done this one yet, so we're still getting involved. Um, I would say probably the harder ones are the ones that I know the people the most because I want the questions to be truly authentic as if we've never talked about it before. And, you know, with with Cody and Carly, it was easy because I was naturally interested in what they were saying and, like, I had natural questions. You know, yeah. people that I know, it's like, well, we've bullshitted before. So right. I, I kind of know what you're going to say. And I kind of know <laughs> I, I know the answer to this. And I know it's not that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think the uh, the natural filter comes in and it's a little too aggressive at times where I'm like, oh, God, that's a good question. But I already kind of know that. But maybe it's not a good question because I already know it. Like, I, you know, so I fight with myself a little bit more. But um, I know that you're going to be great. And the funny thing is, as I asked you to do this, you're like, 
dude, I'm not that interesting. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, you're you're the humble guy from North Dakota. We all get that. But like, when I look at your career and like everything that we've talked about, you're very interesting. So give yourself a little bit more credit. Thank you. I'm trying to be more cocky as I get older. So I'm working on it. I mean, you, but you don't, yeah, you don't have to walk around and like, you know, puff your chest out. Okay. But. Well, we'll see if I can draw that line. But you know, maybe today we'll talk about stuff we've never talked about before. Maybe Ooh, it'll get really weird. Get Who stuff. knows? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get weird. <laughs> Um, well, the reason why I said um, you're way more interesting than I think you give yourself credit for is seven years in the NFL, you you won a Rose Bowl as a redshirt freshman at Wisconsin. Um, you had a great college career. You're drafted in the NFL. You you played for multiple teams, and I th- and I think that you know you could you could bounce around the league and say like, oh well, why is it so interesting? Well. You had so much experience with so many people and just going through the list of names and the teammates and the coaches that you've, you've been around. I'm like, you don't get that. If like you play for one team, you you might have some great players and some great coaches that come through, but your, your depth of knowledge of the NFL and football um, is so vast. And it surprises me all the time. Like, Oh yeah, that, that guy, we were, we were talking before I even hit record, you know, that um, year was Sean McVay when you played for the Tuskers in Florida uh, uh, in the UFL League. And I'm like, I, how many years have we known each other? And I had no idea that you had that connection and that you have a story about that. So that's that's why I think you're interesting. You, you're a high school football coach um, at two different spots here in the Twin Cities. You you coach at the University of Pitt. Aaron Donald's on the team. Um, James Connor's on the team. I mean – there are some studs on that college football team. So you have recruiting experience, you have high school experience, you have playing experience, and you played quarterback, which is the hardest fucking position to play <laughs> <laughs> in any sports league. Well, I, you know, you, you probably hit on two of the things that I tell people all the time, is, and, and you know this as, as well as I do, like we're, we're out of the game long enough now that you have a chance to look back and, and really dig in and reflect on what it meant. And I was – there's a couple of things I feel really fortunate about um, having played the game. And, and one is the relationships you hit on right away. And I think I was even more fortunate because I grew up around the game. My dad was a college football coach and the relationships in the sport were important to him. Right. So you talk about recruiting and, and, and people on your staff and players that you coach. Um, I saw that firsthand. So going into it, that was always important to me. Um, and then the second one is, you get to fail in an accelerated clip, right? Like, you know, as athletes, you get to fail publicly and you get to fail kind of every day, right? So um, anyways, it's just, it's funny that you you pointed those out. And even as you're saying those names, um, you know, the stories pop into my head, right? And and James Conner is is one of my favorite, right? So we're we're at University of Pittsburgh and first day ever recruiting, okay? In my life, okay? I'd never been a college coach, first day on the road, and I'm going to Erie Cathedral Prep to Wait, watch. You, so, so rewind. So, for the people locally listening, you left Hill Murray. Yep. You left Hill Murray after just a year, right? Yeah, one year at Hill. Had a great year. Unbelievable people. We went to the state tournament for the first time in like 35 years for them. Um, bad call uh, in the two minute drill by me, and uh, we lost in the in the semifinals to Ricori. But uh, and then I what happened was I accepted a job. Because that, that was all I was doing at the time. Okay, that was my first year out. Bill Lechner called me and said, hey, you know, I need, I need a coach. Are you interested? I'm like, perfect. This will give me something to do as I'm figuring out what the heck I want to do with yeah. the rest of my life. 
So, you know, I made a few thousand bucks and it was awesome because all I had to worry about other than my family and life and whatever was coaching high school ball, right? I didn't have to have a day job and it was, it was a ton of fun and again, great people. But so we had that great run and then they actually offered me a job in development, raising money at the school. Um, so I, I accepted that role, but it didn't start until July uh, 1st. So in the meantime, uh, Paul Christ is a good friend of mine. And was getting to that point in his career. He hadn't had a head job yet, but he had been, you know, he'd call me once in a while mm-hmm. uh, when, when a school uh, approached him and said, you know, if you're, you know, if this ever works out, um, maybe it'll work. So it didn't look like it was going to. Once he took the pit job, it didn't look like it was going to fit the way he built his staff. And then he had a shakeup really early on. He called me back and said, hey, would you want to coach quarterbacks? And uh, so this is probably, let's call it April. Right, mm-hmm. so I accept the job in February. This is uh, end of March, April, and you know I got to sit my wife down and say, you know, have that conversation. She, she's from, you know, she's from St. Paul, and uh, you know we kind of the the path was getting clear. We had our house and had a job now, and things were going well. I said, listen, you know, got a, this opportunity to coach college ball, and that's kind of what I always wanted to do. And I yeah. love Paul, and I remember. Paul on the phone, and I'm finally – well, first of all, Paul's like, hey, listen, make the decision. Here's what you do, and I'm, I'm fine with him. I'm like, Paul, I don't know. I'm like, what do I do? It's my first time. Yeah. And um, because, you know, in our world, you just get told what you're going to do. Hey, right. you're cut, you're traded, you yeah. know, whatever. Um, so the first time I'm like, oh, I, I have to decide. And um, so he's like, make the decision, sleep on it, wake up, see how it feels. So I'll never forget. Made the decision, woke up. Natalie looks at me, she's like – I don't feel any different. <laughs> you know, <it> didn't help. <laughs> so I called Paul and told him his strategy was bullshit, first of all. Um, but then I remember saying, we, we just got to give it a crack. We're young. We'll figure it out. And, uh, you know, I'm telling him yes, and she's got tears coming down her face. You know, I'm looking at her across the room. And it was a huge decision. Um, to, because you had a young family, a young family at the time. Yeah. So let's see where we're at. We, um, Livy, Livy was born when I was finishing up with the Tuskers. So yeah, we had three. Um, three kids, which seems small now to me, but, um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, we had three and it was a big move, you know, I mean, you're uprooting, we got extended family here, all that stuff. So it was a big decision. So we were fortunate in that I kept my house here, you know, to keep the bandaid on a little bit. Um, cause we spent, you know, she stayed, I went out there, which was a, I'm so thankful we did it. Right. It, It was such an experience. Um, but, you know, the first couple of months I slept basically in the office or, you know, at the extended stay or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and they're back here. And then and then finally they came out and then the season starts and she goes from being a player's wife, you know, yeah. uh, which is a pretty good schedule. Right. In football, yeah. maybe not in other sports, but in football, it's a nine to five and you got a ton of time off. So, you know, you go from that and being in your hometown to you know, basically being a single parent, right? Right. Um, so that whole thing was, it was fascinating, it made us better. We are off on our own for the first time, had to just rely kind of on our unit, and we were facing the challenges of, um, you know, a, a heavy, heavy workload. Yeah. Um, which in that college coaching is a, it's a heavy workload. I mean, um, no matter who you work for, every college coach, even if they say like, oh, no, he's a, he's good on the workload. He's not going to have you man your desk until midnight. It's a good college coach is still 10 o'clock. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, you're right. And it's it's not just in the year. It's just that it never ends on the calendar. Yeah. So, you know, you'd go usually during the week on a game week in the fall. I wouldn't see the kids until Thursday night. Right. And then and then you'd see him Thursday evening, have a few beers, order pizza, play with the kids um, and then take them to school Friday morning, have, um, uh, you know, a brunch with my wife kind of deal and then kiss her goodbye. And and uh, if it's a road game, you don't see the kids till next Thursday. You know, so you're you're you know, you're praying for a home. You're praying for a home noon game. Right. If you're a coach. Right, because because um, no responsibilities after the game's over. Right, you got you got all Saturday to to kill with your family. It's kind of like bonus time. So, and then you know the the day the season ends, you're on a flight, right? So, and I recruited quarterbacks nationally, so I, you know, I'd have like twelve flights, and you know, you'd go. <laughs> there was twice I was in the Atlanta airport twice in one day. Oh, which is a pretty fascinating thing. But it, it's kind of like you know you got to go see the kids throw. Right. So a lot of coaches have like an area, right? They go to Philly and they post up and then they're going to hit all the Philly schools. And well, when you're quarterbacks, you got to see the kids and they're all over the place. So um, it would be, you know, flight, rental car, school, hotel, get up, you know, drop the rental car, another flight, another (laughs) rental car, hotel, school. So, um, it was fascinating, you know, first time for me, but you go right from the season to recruiting to spring ball, back to recruiting, and then when recruiting ends, you basically hit your summer camps in June, and then you got July off, right. you know. So you get a few weeks, maybe a month, and that's where Paul was great, was like he loved making sure you enjoyed that time off. Yeah, tr- totally off, like just dis- disconnect a little bit and you're – Because he's got a great cabin up in northern Wisconsin. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, he, he he loves to go and unplug. And, you know, some guys, they're still, you know, two weeks, one week back in the office in July and it just – and now they're starting these satellite camps in June, right? So yeah. the gopher staff might be in Georgia for a That's week. That's right, yeah. Um, so it's just really hard. And, and listen, they're compensated. You make good money. Um, but it – in college, it never um, ends, you know. Right. So that that was ultimately for me. Just, I mean, there's a few reasons um, we we decided to to jump off that carousel, but you know, one of them was just it was it's just hard. Yeah. Uh, and, and guys can do it. Listen, there's great dads that are that are college coaches, but it's just you know wasn't wasn't the path we were going to go down. Yeah. Um, so James Connor. So yeah, so first day of recruiting, I don't know what I'm doing, but you have these recruiting meetings and you know, you got the whole board with all the prospects and all the process to to find these kids. And I should remember the quarterback's name, but there's a quarterback at Erie Cathedral Prep that I was going to go see throw. He's a highly recruited kid. Ended up committing to Michigan State the next day, right? Michigan State's there with me and I'm looking over and I can tell we're late to the party. So he commits the next day. And Joe Rudolph, who is our um, offensive coordinator, said, hey, while you're up there, go talk to the coach at, um, gosh, I think it's Erie Central, but whatever, the public school. He's like, go say hi to him. Great guy. Don't think he's got anybody. Go say hi. Like, cool. So I swing by. I pull in. um, There's the security guards at the front door. I walk up in my pit shirt, you know, all excited, and he's like, you're here to see James. And I said, uh, yeah, I don't know who James is or what you're talking 
He's like, you're here to see James. So they sign me in, you know, get all my credentials. I turn the corner and way on the other end of the hall is kind of like a movie, like the the light was coming in from outside through the hallway like and I could silhouette. see this silhouette. Like, yeah. He's got hair down to his shoulders and his chest is sticking out and it's just this broad-shouldered guy. And I looked at this dude and I go, I'm here to see James. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know what? Um, Joe Rudolph just worked his butt off to, to make it work and, and there were some some hurdles um, to, to get James um, – to pit and and some competition late and all that stuff and we got him and what an unbelievable kid i mean we're in college at pit and he's just killing it as a running back and he's rushing the passer on third down oh i forgot i forgot that about him he was literally so so that was the thing he he broke he broke the school sack record and i think he had to sit out six games what something not at pit at at the high school okay you know what i mean okay. but like he was a legit defensive end. And so just, why did he fall, not fall off the radar, but why, why was he sort of like in the weeds? I just think because he had some issues with what, I don't even remember what happened, but he got suspended or, he, you know, okay. he had to miss some games um, injury-wise. And, and I don't think they had a great team. So he just never popped yeah. on the radar. And I think he was more of a defensive guy for them. And as a defensive guy, he was he's not that big. He's undersized. Right. So, you know, it's just that there's all these factors that, you know, you see in, and we've seen it as players, like some guys just kind of fall through the cracks for a number of reasons. And I look back on that and it was like he was one of those kids. Right. Easily could have um, not worked out, you know, yeah. and I think the determination of Rudy to to really recognize and, and the coach standing on the table for him. And then the kid just resilient, right? Like once he got around him, his energy. And then he, you know, he went through that leukemia thing. That was right. after I yeah. left. But just watching him go through that um, and continue to work and practice and become who he has, it's just, it's one of those things going back to the relationships that you're just like, I don't know. There's a probably a high probability I'll never talk to James Conner again. There's a decent probability he wouldn't even remember who the heck I was. Um, but it was cool. You yeah, know, we had yeah. fun and, and you know, um, for whatever reason, how the planets align, you, you get to kind of have a little impact on somebody's life. And, and then when you see him go do the stuff that he's done, um, it's just cool. What's going on, everybody? I hate to interrupt the conversation, but you know what? I have to thank my sponsors because without them, none of this is truly possible. So first off, I want to thank Douglas and Todd Bourbon. I've been with you guys for a long time and I appreciate you sponsoring this podcast. If you don't know Douglas and Todd Bourbon by now, well, shame on you. It is a gold medal winning bourbon made right here in the great state of Minnesota. It's distilled in Osakis, Minnesota. It is bottled in Princeton, Minnesota, and it is sold not only here in this great state of Minnesota and regionally, but all over the country. It won a gold medal last year, actually 2018, at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition. It was up against the best bourbons in the world, and it won a gold medal. So it's not just some kitschy, super fun, nice, cute, oh, how cute that Minnesota made a bourbon. No, 
this bourbon is legit, this bourbon is for real, and this bourbon is gold medal winning bourbon. So thank you so much, Douglas and Todd Bourbon. Please enjoy responsibly. 21 plus bourbon whiskey, 46.5% alcohol by volume, produced and bottled by Ed Phillips and Sons Company, Princeton, Minnesota. I also want to thank Pick and Shovel Wear, pickandshovelwear.com. They have unique and creative apparel featuring all the Minnesota sports teams, the Loon, the Wild, the Wolves, Twins, Vikings, Gophers, even the Minnesota Chill. That's the uh, the ultimate disc team that's sort of new and up and coming. They offer shirts, hoodies, hats. They even have baby clothes. They have these little onesies that are super fun. And what they do is they pay homage or homage to current and former sports legends across the leagues. Basically, each and every design uh, just starts a conversation. And it kind of makes you smile because it, uh, it it elicits these memories and these great moments in Minnesota sports. For instance, every time I wear my Jimmy Kleinsaucer shirt, which is new, and, and a lot of them are sold out and they're getting more. So just hang in there. Go to pickandshovelware.com and you can get yours. But my Jimmy Kleinsaucer shirt, every time I wear it, I get questions. Hey, where would you get that? Hey, who made that? Or it's just like, Jimmy, love that dude. He was one of my favorite Vikings players of all time, and now uh, we get to honor him with a T-shirt. Those proceeds go to the West Tonka food shelf, so there's a, a little feel-good with that as well. Head over to pickandshovelware.com, check out their uh, all their great stuff, and type in the promo code LEBER, L-E-B-E-R, for 20% off your first order. So, last but not least, Wexford Harbor Insurance. I know what you're thinking. Insurance? What? Insurance is kind of boring. Well, guess what? It kind of is boring, but it's needed. I sat down with my buddy, Pat Kelly. I had been with big box retailer insurance companies my basically my whole life and just thought, hey, their insurance is probably good enough for me. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Pat sat down, educated me on sometimes those big blanket insurance companies leave kind of gaps in your individual coverage with your, with your home, your auto all of your personal property, your umbrella insurance, all of that stuff. It's not always the best fit when it comes to your individual family. And that's kind of what I learned as well is that, hey, maybe these big box insurance companies don't fit me and my family and our individual needs. And he's able, because he's an independent agent, to search 40 different types of companies to find out what's best for you. And by doing that, he finds the best value for you, the best coverage for you, and the best price for you. So now, if I ever need insurance, which I hope I don't, I'm gonna be 100% stress-free knowing that I'm well taken care of and I'm getting it for a great price. So for all your home and auto and commercial needs, go to wexford-harbor.com slash unrestricted to find out more information. And Harbor is H-A-R-B-O-U-R, sort of the old English spelling of Harbor. Or you can just email them at info at wexford-harbor.com. Now, back to the show. So you had a fascinating, we started off the podcast and you were talking about um, the relationships uh, and just the the two things that you miss about playing. And you mentioned relationships and the other one, which doesn't get talked about enough, the the value of failing publicly. Like why, it seems like such a weird thing if you're going to take two things out of your whole playing career, coaching career, whatever, your football life, uh, and you say, Hey, one of the top most valuable things that I I took away from it is relationships and this ability to fail in public and have to go through that. Like why why that is so important among amongst I think all the other life lessons that are out there. 
Well, I, I think it was hard for me, right? I, I'm the oldest of four. I'm a coach's kid. You know, you know, you can kind of start a shortstop, point guard, and quarterback, right? I was kind of that annoying kid, right? That that didn't had to be right all the time and had to win at everything, and um, you know, it it was hard for me. And then it was funny because you know Graham Mertz had that this run at Wisconsin this year, right? And, mm-hmm. and clearly uber talented dude right and and pretty fun to watch and and like a lot of people i was like oh i was excited to see what this kid's got and he came out of the gates and had unbelievable first game and really really good first couple games and then things kind of faltered but i mean he had that one game and there's so much build up to him and then he had that game and it was like i'm like oh boy like so much right like they're crowning him right denny green crown his ass oh yeah and i'm like oh boy this is it's a lot a lot for a kid, right? I don't care how good you are, how developed, right? That that's just a lot. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was talking to my dad, and I was thinking, I was like, I think I won my first fifteen games at Wisconsin, right? So I I redshirted, um, and then I was uh, that spring was competing with a senior for the starting job. Had a really good spring. Came into the fall and like he kind of separated himself and conventional wisdom, I think, you know, yeah. let the older guy play his way out of it and yep. <clears throat> see what the kid can handle. And then, so like I played, you know, a few snaps in each of those first couple games. And then we went to Cincinnati. We're like, Dane's up for the Heisman. We're like four or five in the country. And uh, we go to Cincinnati and this was before Cincinnati had done anything like they are today. Yeah, I think Moeller was the coach. You know, it's probably a half full stadium in Cincinnati, and I play three plays, and zero for one with an interception, right? And we lose, and Ron Dane fumbles, and the Sports Illustrated article is like, Dane's a Heisman bust, mm. Badgers are dead, overrated, all this stuff. It's like, oh boy. So I'm like, well. I'm going to be sitting for a while, right? Well, the next week, we're playing Michigan in prime time, and Scott Cavanaugh gets hurt. I go in for the end of that game. We don't come back and win, but I played well enough that I'm like, okay. So my first start is at Ohio State, right, the following Ooh, week boy. At, at the Horseshoe. So I'm like, okay. Like, and, you're, and you're facing about, a, what, 105,000? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it was a lot. And uh, luckily, I was too young and stupid to have any idea. Um, and luckily, even more luckily, we had a great defense, a great offensive line and Ron Dane in the backfield. Right. So, but we go in and we're down 17, nothing to start that game. And coach Alvarez had had knee replacement. So he's up in the box, um, or he had an infection or something with his head to get his knee cut. And, uh, we're down 17, nothing. We go on a two minute drive at the end of the half, kick a field goal finally put some plays together, start getting comfortable. We kick a field goal at 17-3 at halftime. We score 39 unanswered points, beat them 42-17 to 17 in the Damn. horseshoe. And then uh, we won nine straight, including the Rose Bowl. Uh, and that was my freshman season, right? So I was just thinking about that in relation to, to what happened. And, and I remember, like, all of a sudden you're, you're on Jay Leno – in LA and you're talking to Tommy Lasorda and, and the Rose Bowl and you know um, all the stuff and, and it was like somebody pulled me outside my body right yeah and, and, and I think what happened to me in that time was I didn't get to mature and, and understand what made me successful 
and um, I didn't I didn't fail a lot through that period, right? So now the bar's so high, and you start to hold on to something, mm-hmm. right? You start to try and get something and hold on to it. And it took me a long time and a lot of pain to just go. And, and that happens a lot in the NFL too, right? Because it's your job. Right, yeah. It's like if I can just get – if I can just be this backup here and be a good backup, like – it's it's and again people would say oh that's terrible to think that way like you should want to be the guy you know what I mean or whatever but it happens you know and and you you count the line and you're looking around and it's just it's there's no growth in it right so you, you waste this time protecting who you think you want to be and what you think is best for you and I think what I learned through failing and again I'm a slow learner so I had to fail really publicly a lot of times <laughs> and, and you know you, you got to go through it and and then I think you start to realize like all there is is growth right so like that's all that matters like I actually I want to put myself out there and then step back whatever happens either way and go like okay what what happened right why did it happen what did I learn from it yeah. and that's all that matters yeah there is you know, it's now you fight it with your kids and you start to raise your kids and you're like, well, what if like, if we put them in position to do the They call them snowplow parents, right? And I think we're all guilty of it. And athletics is if we get them to this school and we get them here and he can make varsity and he can do that, we've done our, you know. Yeah, yeah. Bullshit. Bullshit, right? It's how do you put them in that environment to, to challenge themselves and, right. fi- and, and learn? That's and I, I firmly believe today, and it's taken me all this time. And again, I don't have – you still wrestle with it, right? Because it still sucks to fail, and it still sucks when you're like, that's what I thought I wanted, and now it pivots. Mm-hmm. But I think it's all there is. You know, I, I think that's the only thing that's fulfilling, you know. And I, I kick myself, and I tried to – incorporate this with the players and my kids and whatever and now try and incorporate it in my life is like you can't hold on to it you can't you can't make the script before it happens you just right. got to go dig in and live it right and uh and that's actually where the goodness is right it's not in the holding the trophy you know now hopefully it is really rewarding when you do right right it's not saying it's bad for a kid to be great at something or to have a ton of success, but it's it's refocusing the lens through which you see that journey, you know. And I I go, damn it, I wasted so many opportunities. You know what I mean? Isn't that isn't that though just a wiser man looking back at his life? And kind of redoing their repetitive cycle that I think all humans sort of do. As you get older, you become the wiser old owl. You, you're talking about self-reflection. It's right. basically what you're doing. I mean, you're saying like, I wish, I wish kids, whether they handle success or not, that we should spend more time telling our kids to self-reflect and, 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 and look at themselves in an honest, critical way as far as, hey – how did I get to this point? What did I do really well? What did I do really wrong? But I think we tend to just look at what's what's satisfying. Well, holding that trophy, trophy, being on Jay Leno, having the confetti come down at the end of the game. We hold on to those moments thinking that like, oh, I, it's fine. I, I We can get there. I just want to hold on to that moment. But you forget, well, what was the foundation to get you there? Yeah. And, and, and what are you really taking from it? Yeah. Right? You're taking, I think, the relationships and the lessons. 
You know what I mean? Right. And and I see it in myself as a parent, and you got to catch yourself because then it's like, well, wh- when they when they fail or they struggle or or they ask, somebody asks like, how's he doing or how's she doing? What what does your mind go to? Right? It's like, well, it goes to well, she's on this team and she's doing well in school and check the box, check the box, check the box. It's like, yeah, but how's she doing? Right. Or how's he doing? Like, you know, it's, 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 it's easy to go to chase, um, those defining things. And listen, there, there's ways by which we measure things and it's good to strive for success. I'm not saying it's not, I just think like protecting yourself or your kids from, you know, like if, if a kid fails, your reaction sometimes is to protect him from it. Mm-hmm. Well, it really wasn't your fault. You know, that was a, that was a, a bad, bad call, stupid decision by the coach, whatever. Yeah. You know, the school shouldn't be you doing ena- it that yeah, way. We, we enable that with our kids. Right, because, yeah, it's just a, it's a really natural thing. And I think the earlier you can – and you said it, it's it's really just thinking critically. Yeah. You know, I um, – And I think that there's a – and I think what – you know, if I can, because I, I believe everything that you're saying. I think everything that you're saying is 100% correct. And um, I think it, there's an there's an immature component to all of it, too, that's really, really hard. I mean, I think sometimes just your juvenile mind, you know, when you're 18, 19 years old and you're having success in college, it, it's really hard to, to look at this thing self-critically and not get enamored by, you know, at least in, the, in a football sense, you know, you've got a lot of attention from from women, from national media, from your teammates, coaches, whatever. Uh, and you forget that, God, we should be propping up the value-based system. Like, well, to, you, into your point of like, hey, how's your kid doing? Well, I checked all this box, the, you know, 4.0, actually 4.2. <laughs> and uh, boy, she's the captain of the volleyball team. Like, and you really ask, well, how's she doing? How's she doing? And like, well, she's a hard worker. She's very happy doing what she's doing. She works her ass off. She's a great friend. She's great to her siblings. Like that's maybe. And sort are of you thing. wrestling with them? Right. Like that's what I look at is like, and I try to. I think, but but I think what I took from it is like, I think why a lot of people struggle after they've had early success and a lot of success, and certainly this is athletes and child stars and entrepreneurs that kill it early is is it covers up. It doesn't force you to wrestle with anything. Yeah, you know, and and you know, you live life forward and you learn it backwards, right? It's it, like to your point is, in the, I just think the sooner you can teach, or we can learn to think critically, regardless of outcomes, right? It's like great, you succeeded. Why? How? Yeah, you know, right? This is what you do. It's not who you are. What's underneath it? Um, and and you know, I think. Most people don't have enough of those checkpoints in their life. That's why I say I was thankful as an athlete because you have a lot of those checkpoints. Well, we have them every day. You're forced to wrestle. <laughs> we with have them every when we're when we're watching film. I'm talking about when you get in the shower or what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stop measuring. <laughs> um, you, we have them every day when we're, we watch practice every day. I think the first words Steve Hutchinson said to me. When I came to the Vikings, yeah. I was coming out of the shower. He goes, hey, that looks like a penis, only smaller. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I really believe it's the first words he said to me. Uh, I don't know if you can say that on your podcast yeah, or you not. Can. But yeah, you can. Yeah, we are. I, I do check that explicit box when I, <laughs> when I post these things. Um, 
and I think people get it by now. But, but that sounds like Steve. And clearly Steve, he was being sarcastic. Yeah. Clearly. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Um, it sounds like something Steve would say. He was always pithy with those things. He's good. Quick-witted with those things. He didn't say much, but he would, he would, uh, he'd make you laugh. Um, the, the thing is, like, for me, you know, we had to live that every day as, as, as football players. And I think other sports kind of do the same thing. When you watch practice and you, you go through practice, you watch it at the end of the day. And we're, we're getting critically analyzed every day. And it's hard, it's hard to ignore yourself on film and, and look past the, the, the things that you're doing well and the things that you're doing bad. Yes, you have a coach that's telling you that and sometimes yelling at you about it. So it's getting drilled into your head. But it's a, such a missed opportunity for athletes if you watch that film and you just glaze over and don't take anything from it, you know. Um, but do you, think, do you think you learned those things – when you were playing, you know, towards the end of your career or like, you know, if you measured the two buckets, like how much more did you reflect and grow and really kind of gain perspective on those when you were done? Or do you think you were in it and you started to develop the skill set to be able to? Well, that that's so I'll answer then I'm going to answer. I'll have you answer the same question, because for me, my turning point was was uh, my linebacker coach, Coach Venables, who's now at Clemson as the D.C. Um, he was a hard-nosed coach, yeller. He looks like it. Yeah, yeller, screamer, spitter. I mean, whatever. I mean, he threatened my life several times. You know, that he's that sort of coach. And um, and I think I naturally am, like, more of an observant person. Like, I've, all, I've always kind of – I have been. That's just, like, my natural personality. So my natural personality when I was redshirting and kind of working my way through the ranks was um, – I just kind of how watched the other guys and how they responded. You know, how did they, how did they respond to this coach right literally in the grill, spitting on them, telling them they're fucking worthless, that they're gonna he's gonna you know choke them out and whatever if they don't get the play right. And I would see how guys could just wilt away. You know, they they just sort of lost. I think I think that just pushed them away from the love of football and then, and the love of improvement and the love of trying to come back the next day and improve. And I always kind of kept that in the back of my mind, like, okay, when when my time comes to get yelled at, which I, it was always it was an inevitable. How what's my reaction going to be, and how am I going to process that? And then once it did, it certainly wasn't easier. I mean, I, st- I certainly went back to my dorm room sometimes and just felt like total ass and just hated myself. But you were thinking that way. But I'm think I'm, I was I was trying to think that way of like, oh man, like how are they reacting? What can I learn from that situation? Um, so he was instrumental in my life from that standpoint because. He put the screws to me and made me really critically analyze myself and basically said, if you if you don't improve and get better, you're basically you're just gonna be a bench player. Like you're not gonna play for me. I can't trust you, and you're never gonna fucking be a player here. And so then like I, I almost had to hit like professional, even though it wasn't professionals in college, almost football rock bottom right. before I was like, okay, dumbass, it's either now or never. Like you either fucking quit football and you just become this like guy that goes through the motions, or you actually take a chance on yourself and go out there and try to prove yourself. Remind me, where, where do you fall in your family? So I'm a third. Third, yeah. right? I'm kind of fascinated with the birth order thing, like yeah. after you live life, because I can tell you like my response in that situation would have been to, rather than seeking wise counsel, or looking outside to to match behavior or whatever, right? Would just be, I'm gonna figure out how to win this guy over, right? Like I'm right. just gonna please him, mm-hmm. 
Right. Well, it, it became that. Yeah. It became which is a dangerous thing too, it right? Is. And, yeah. and and that's where, like that that was I think my thing was like I was that's what made again greatest strength is your greatest weakness. It's not a bad thing, right? But you know my way to lead was to to just try and win everything, right? Just lead in everything, and I didn't have, I wasn't aware enough, right, to look outside myself. It, it took me a long time. And and still, it's not my natural. You right. know, I have yeah. to. I That's have to really getting outside your comfort zone. Be disciplined yeah. and and remind myself, like, dude, shut up, okay? Right. And 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 look around, or 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 ask for help, or or get an opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you always you are naturally really good at that. It comes natural to you, even in you know we call this the real world we're living in now. Um, but see, that's where we're different, and that's where I th- and that's that's where we're different. I'm more of a natural observer, sit back and watch, try to emulate, you know, that's, I loved watching film of other linebackers because like all I did was try to copy them. That's it. Like it wasn't necessarily me with my own style. It became my style because it was my own body mechanics and became, but all I was doing was trying to copy. I was just trying to copycat everybody. Um, I just watch them and say like where they sucked and where I was better. (laughs) (laughs) But see, you're more of like a true go-getter look back at the dust as you've already flown by and be like, that's, you know, that's a hell of a contrail I just created, you know, like, and, and then maybe analyze it later. And my biggest thing is I have to push myself to like, be more of that. Like, just say, fuck it, go, go, right. Get your hands dirty. And yeah. Go get your hands dirty, be vulnerable and just fucking do it. Where I come, where I, um, yeah, I kind of learned by, you know, now, you know, I think I've learned that I learned by failing. I'm like, guys, I, and I have to tell people that I'm working with, it's like, listen, I'm just going to go and like, we're going to do this and like, I'm going to, or I'm going to throw this draft out there and then you just work off of it. Right. Right. Instead of sitting around and waiting for everybody to do something or whatever. Um, so, but I, it comes up a lot with kids when I was coaching. Um, and, and I really believe this to be true is like they get cut, right? They're, they're, it didn't happen as much in football, but you have an athlete, that all of a sudden was really wanted to be a hockey player at Hill Murray or really was a good basketball player or loved basketball or, or one of those sports where they, they cut more and, and all of a sudden the kid gets cut. Mm-hmm. And, or, or in football, like they want to be the quarterback. I deal with that one a lot, right? Because yeah. there's only one usually. And I tell parents all – like now it's like usually those kids, it ends up being such a gift, right? Because now they're 16 years old and they got to go like – I was pretty sure I was a quarterback, and now I'm not. Okay, you got two choices, right? And a lot of times the parent's choice is to force the issue or go find a spot they can be, whereas the kid's choice is pivot, redefine, and, 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 and you just see those kids that do that properly, right? Like you get cut from the lacrosse team, and it's devastating. It's like we've invested all this money in lacrosse. We've invested all this time. But what an opportunity, right? All of a sudden, he starts playing ultimate frisbee or something, right? And then inevitably, they come back two years later, like, dude, best thing that ever happened to me. And and I think that's life, you know. It's like, but I, that goes back to what you're saying earlier, like when you're asking, like, yeah, but how's your kid really doing? Yeah, you know, it's like, well, if the kid is happier playing ultimate frisbee because they had to pivot and they had to take an op, they took a bad opportunity and they truly made lem, you know, made lemonade out of lemons. Like, if if that's the opportunity. Now you ask a question like, well, how you like, it's great. Well, and I don't know, right? Like I think like then it goes, how do you judge it? And, and what are you looking at? And I think it's, I don't know the right answer to that today, right? But you spend a lot of time thinking about it. And I, and I think 
and and you say, we say it about ourselves too is are you are you wrestling with it right are do you got your hands dirty and you're thinking critically and and he's grappling with it that that to me that's that's it like you're winning you right. know what i mean it, it doesn't mean you're happy and content and everything's perfect it's just like man he, you know he really thought hard about how he was going to pivot after that and he really made a plan and a roadmap to go attack this thing it's like wow that kid's winning right yeah. more so than the kid and I, I, we use kids as the example but i think it's true for all of us it's like that everything's going well for mm -hmm. and hasn't been forced to wrestle with any of it because mm -hmm. that day's coming, right? Like, right. And, and, and I think so often we miss those little opportunities around the way and the more I kick myself for the hundreds, right, um, that you miss. So, you know, I think, I think the really thing is, is when it goes back to failing, it, it's, it's kind of failing, but it's also just are you really wrestling with it? Are you really taking and, and milking it from – I listened to the Jordan Peterson podcast once in a while, right? And he mm. said a brilliant thing to me. He's like, because the other thing about failing publicly is it sticks with you, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah it, there's no getting away from it. It's <laughs> kind of like, even for all of us in life, right? There's things that hang there that are just like, let's not bring that one up. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. that one just kind of hurts. Um, but he's like, how much, when you fail in life in a relationship, in a sporting event, in anything, a business venture, you know, whatever. How much time, how long should you let that hang with you? And and the answer was exactly as long as you can learn everything you possibly can from it. Mm, that's a great answer. And then it's gone. Yeah. Right? And I was like, that blew my mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's like, how have I taken everything I possibly can from that? Yeah. Have you dissected this whole situation and pulled out all the learning moments that you possibly can. Because a lot of times you hide from it. Hell yeah, you it, hide from it because it's painful. It hurts, yeah. right? So you're like, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. Let's just put our head down. The thing is, it doesn't go away, right? It's still like back there. And I think for me, it was just like, face it, watch the tape, mm -hmm. right? Don't just get through it and hope, you know what I mean? Close your eyes until it's over. Yeah, yeah. And then which go. I've done before. Oh, dude, you sit in the parking lot and you're like, <laughs> I don't want to watch this game. <laughs> like, I just don't. Is there any way? Like, you can't call in sick, right? It's no. like, you got to go watch it. You got to face the music, man. But then there's two ways to face the music. Like, there's all these layers beneath that. Yeah. Are you facing the music and just kind of closing your eyes and gritting your teeth until it's over? Or are you really looking inside yourself and going like, I'm really going to dig in and take every little ounce I can from this and then and then I'm going to put it away. Right. And that's taken me my whole life, right? Like you're still – Well, I mean, aren't we all just still learning all the time? I mean, if you think that you've got life figured out, then good for you. But, the, but that that's not me. That's no, not you. I think that – I hope not, right? Yeah. Like that's – I think that's the fun. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's – so I, the thing is, and you and I have talked about this privately before getting together, and I and I think we're on the same track here. So to to sum up everything that you're saying, then and we're just kind of talking about this second learning lesson that you've had through football with um, uh, with failing publicly and all this other criticism. What you're basically talking about when we're alluding to is just having some fucking grit. 
Yeah. You know, like I, I think that's the beauty a beauty about sports in general. You know, not not to make this about football, but sports in general, I think really accelerate that process where kids even at a young age have to face failure. And you have to face some obstacles and roadblocks, whether it's hey, maybe it's political. Maybe you feel like you're the best running back on the team, and maybe your parents feel the same thing, but you're third on the depth chart and you're got. So that's that's at least some form of of an obstacle that you have to overcome. How are you going to process this? Can like, I can I say something about that? Yeah. So like I think my thought on that today is because I totally agree with you. I think it's why a lot of these amateur sports were invented, right? To grow you physically, mentally, emotionally, right? It challenges you in every way. Yeah. Well, I think we've accelerated so far beyond that, and not beyond it necessarily in a good way, but just with the way our youth sport, sports are formed today, our college athletics, right? If you look back from when we were growing up till now, and now we're really getting on a soapbox, but, you know, to me, college athletics is basically beyond what pro sports was when we, right? It's big business. That's you know, just what business. it is. Yeah. And then high school is probably what college was when we were growing up, just about, right? The the, the money that's invested, the time that's invested, the resources, uh, we were talking about film study the other day, right? Like they have all the capabilities that we had in college, right? Mm-hmm. With huddle and so, and then you look at youth sports, and and that's a billion dollar plus industry, right? And and what I tell, what I believe today is, sports don't inherently give you that, right? I I think it's like, oh great, they're they're in sports, they're gonna learn these things. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's what we have to all be conscious of is like everything in life and sports is a great example because it gives you this accelerated feedback loop, but it doesn't do it on its own. And I would say the machine is almost built now to really focus more on where are you going next, right? Like we're going to get you to this team. We're going to develop right, you to make right. the scholarship, whatever that is. So I think now more than ever in, in just the way the whole – you know, society is with social media and whatever. I think it's why it's so important we're talking about it, frankly, is because I think all these things are there and they're around us every day. But if we don't choose to focus on them, they don't happen inherently. They, they You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. We, you don't just learn those things because it's like brush it off, make the next team. That's what everybody cares about, right? right? It's like, no, I don't care about the next team. I don't give a shit about, you know, whatever. It's like, the reason we're doing this, the value in it is like, you miss those two free throws to lose the game. <laughs> like, yeah. let's talk about it. Like, yeah. what, what, how'd they make you feel? What, 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 what could you have done differently? You know, how'd you react with your teammates? How'd you handle the situation? Did you own it or did you punt on it? Did you hide from it? Like, they're there, but I think the danger we're in right now is, I think, in schools. In sports, in households, it's probably further from the conversation now than it's ever been before. Right, right. You know, um, because there's so much masking it, right? Well, and I think part of the masking is the way the what I'm taking from what you're saying is, let's say a kid misses two free throws that that at the end of the game would have won the game. the The mindset now because because we are so results based driven and we're 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 so distracted by what's what's around the next corner 
that the immediate question becomes, hey, is that going to stop me from getting on to the A team next year? Is that going to stop me from getting on this AAU club next year or next season? Or this is the school season and now the club season starts next week. How is this going to affect that? Well, bullshit, because we need to focus on why you missed those two free throws. Or, like, let's let's stay a little bit more present. Like, let's let's break down, like, okay, mentally, where were we at? How was your conditioning? Is it, is it a conditioning issue? Right. Like, did you miss the free throws because you didn't have any legs left at the end of the game? Let's address that. That'll actually make you a better player, and that'll, that'll actually get you – into the next league and maybe at the top the top team, let's break down the why of why you missed that instead of thinking of like, oh, shit, is this going to hamper my opportunity to be on that next league or the next club team? Yeah, and we want to evaluate as parents, you know, and we want to, you know, because it, 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 it kind of affects you, but it's like, what do I, what do I think, where do we need to spend our time is just in those moments, you know, and because and, the biggest thing at the end of the day is, and I, I'd say this because it took me so long to get it through my thick head, is like the ultimate gift is how do you take that lesson and apply it to the 10,000 other lessons in your life? You know what I'm saying? Because yeah, yeah. there, there's synergies to it, right? It, it, it's, it, it, there are lessons in that that you can take and apply to others, but not if you don't really understand why. Right. Not, and not if you don't learn from it. And, and that's just – it's hard because we've pushed so hard um, – away from it for for a lot of reasons. I think a ton of what's going on is good. It's just like, man, we're missing the best part. And that's not just sports. You know, I, I think yeah. it's it's a lot of stuff and it's such an important issue. Um adults deal with it, you know, kids are, you know, just the levels of anxiety and depression and all this stuff. I think it's because we're it's wired into us to that's what's fulfilling is to wrestle with the meaningful stuff, yeah. you know, and, and not just, you know, put a filter on it on Instagram and, and hope nobody knows. <laughs> yeah. <You> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to your point, and again, you and I both have, you know, fairly young families still like, you know, my, my oldest is in seventh grade. And, and so this happened just yesterday. Okay, so I'm going to try to make this uh, maybe applicable to what you're talking about with like the anxieties and the, and the pressures I think kids are feeling these days because we because we as parents and we're guilty. My wife and I are guilty of it as well. Like we have our kids like overscheduled every, with everything like, you know, piano lessons because we, we want them to be well-rounded. Yeah. You know, they're, they're doing multiple sports because we want them to be well-rounded. Oh, by the way, we do have an, a high expectation of education and grades and blah, 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 blah. Right. Well, um, yesterday. You know, my, my daughter is, she gets, I pick her up from volleyball and she comes home and she's like, dad, I'm just, uh, I go, I ask, kind of ask, like, what do you have to do, uh, before you shower and get ready for bed? And she's like, well, I'm kind of nervous about this, this deal I've got and this other homework. I go, but wait, when is it due? And she's like, well, it's due on Tuesday. I go, it's Wednesday. I go, why are you stressed about it? She's like, well, I just don't know what my topic's going to be for my current event. And I just really want to get it done. And I, we've had to pull her back. Now, we've figured out her personality so far is like she's very ambitious, but she also kind of gets herself worked up. And I'm like, I'm like, listen, Ames, I, I'm fine. I'm like, go inside and relax and chill. Like, get yourself a snack. I'll make you a snack. Go shower. Relax. If that's the only thing you have to worry about is a current events thing due on Tuesday, let's do that over the weekend. Like, it's fine. But like – 
I've had to like pull because I don't want I don't want to forecast this thing out and all of a sudden now she's in high school and she's got anxiety issues because she like wants to do all this get all this stuff done right and I'm like you're a kid yeah like I have to tell her that all and I'm like relax it's I don't it, care it's interesting I'm like you know I think there's just more that my daughter it's funny to say that she's she's just a fourth grader and she's she's wired that way and she's the middle right which is Middle of five is an interesting spot, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we had the same thing Monday night. She's she's pissed, right, and and kind of like throwing a fit because our printer sucks. Now we got a new one. We just got a new one. Thanks be to God because um, that was a big issue with how crappy the printer was and the kids had to print something. So, But she's she's freaking out about the printer. And I'm like, okay, hey, we can we can call grandma and grandpa. We can, you know, we can go in and get it printed somewhere. What do we got to do? She's like, da da da. I'm like, well, when do you have to have it? Friday. I'm like, it's Monday, and you're ten. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, go climb a tree. Like, yeah, exactly. You know what yeah. I mean? Go dig in the snow. So it's just, I mean, I think I just I feel more now, and especially listen, you get into the stuff we've been through in the last 12 months, right? And we, you go a, a ton of directions with, um, you know, the the pandemic and, and, and the social justice issues and everything. And But I think all these things we're talking about, there's a line of like, if not, you know, if we're not intentional and wrestling with these things now, when, right? right? And, and I feel that we've gotten that way with our kids too, especially in affluent places like this, you know. And we grew up. I don't feel like our parents had to wrestle with these things the way that we do, right? And yeah. and and now here we are. And you know, I I'm sorry we're getting a little deep into this stuff, but I I just I do feel like it's like, man, now's the time, you know. And and it's up to us to, you know, we might not have any answers, and I certainly you know, don't have them, but it's like, we got to wrestle with them. Right. Because well, yeah, we, again, we as parents can't hide from them either. You can't. You know, we, we've got, we've got to be self-critical of ourselves as parents. Like, I feel like our parents we? skated out, right? Like in the old generation, it was kind of like, you didn't have to wrestle with a lot of this stuff. The I way don't we think did. so either. But, but there's also a beauty to that too, because life was simpler where we, we Oh, it's beautiful. We weren't overscheduled and they left us to our own devices. Now, good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, I got in a, I got into a lot of trouble. Well, I did a lot of things my parents didn't know about because they weren't helicoptering over me, you know. And I don't know if those are good life lessons or not, but certainly, I don't think they were stressed about it. You gotta make, you gotta be able to have some room to fail, and that's a hard line to draw. Yeah, and it's harder. I think part of it's the technology and the information that they have at their fingertips now compared to when we did when we grew up. Sure. Um, and and I, I just feel like, I feel like a lot's changed in that, you know, the mistakes you could make back then seemed to be a lot um, more gradual, right? Mm-hmm. So so you, you kind of had these boundaries and the, the, like bumpers, right? When, and bowling where it's like, yeah, he's going to screw up, but you know what? He's going to kind of stay in the lane. Yeah. Whereas now, you know, if you can go down a lot of different paths, you just have access to a lot more a lot sooner, yeah. right? I think in every aspect. So it's, I don't think we have the luxury today of kind of punting on that stuff and just going, oh, that's fine. Like they'll figure it out. Right. I think, I think you gotta, you gotta address things. 
Um, and I'm just, I'm just wrestling this first time, 14 year old, right? Like you, you know, it's, I, I don't think you can, um, I, I think you, you just, you got to have more candid conversations sooner than probably our parents did, and and certainly their parents. <laughs> I don't think my parents and I ever had a candid, open conversation about my feelings or anything like that. And we started to last week. Mom, yeah. mom, dad, and I just sat down and, and really buried the hatchet. <laughs> um, I do want to like make a really hard cut here. Let's go. I mean, we're 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 making a a Saquon Barkley freaking instant stop on a dime cut the other direction. Um, look again, looking at your career. You've played for a bunch of different teams, and and I'm curious, and maybe the audience is curious, about some of the names that, that I'm going to bring up to you. So this can be sort of a rapid-fire sort of question and answer period, um, but if you have a story about this person or not, or maybe just a feeling, uh, I'd love to hear it. So let's start all the way back. Um, well, let's start all the way back to Wisconsin, Ron Dane. He's the first superstar is ever around, right? So like, you show up on campus and like he's already larger than life, right? But um, nicest guy, quiet, and uh, just he could just run the ball, right? And yeah. um, so still love Ron. I, I I don't see him all that much anymore. He's still in Madison, so I, I connect with him probably once a year. But um, just a great guy. But that was the first time I was around a guy that was like, whoa, like this guy's a big deal. Um, and not the way he acted, just the world. Right, um, right. So that... um, okay, let's, uh, let's go into your, your Jets career. An old quarterback that, my goodness, I mean, this kind of dates yourself, but actually dates him more than anything else is Vinny Testaverde. So Vinny was basically my age right now when I was yeah. a rookie, right? And I'm thinking we're in quarterback school. And I'm bringing him his sandwiches and all that stuff. And I'm like, this guy has been doing this in the NFL as long as I've been alive. Right? I mean, that was kind of my thought. Great man. He would squat like 450 on his back in the season. What? At, as at, a quarterback? At 40. Come so, on. And he, he just built kind of like a Greek. Just he, I mean, he just looks like a grown-ass man. That He's a grown-ass man. That's what I would say. That there's a grown-ass man. But just a, just a he's a pro. Um, he's a pro and a great guy. Uh, stay in the quarterback room, Chad Pennington. He's one of the best. I've, you know, he, you talk about the people around. Of course, I looked up to him so much because that was my first stop, and he was the guy. But coach's kid uh, – a plus plus human being. I think he's coaching high school football down in Tennessee now. Um, got some kids, him and his wife Robin. But I mean, he knows as much football as anybody I've met. Uh, is smart. He could be, he could be CEO of one of these companies here in town today, and uh, could be coaching. You know, maybe you should call him for the Vikes. They're still looking for an OC, <laughs> right? Um, but just to, yeah, I mean, he's he's he. I mean, he's a Rhodes Scholar. He's just. He's a bona fide all-star. Yeah. Let's throw it way back as well. Wayne Corbett. So Wayne Corbett, you know, he's a guy that played at Hofstra. Little white guy. He showed up as a free agent at Jets training camp, was the 13th receiver in the line, and I think ended up starting like every game that year as a rookie. So I got him at the end of his career. I actually threw Wayne his last pass 
Did you really? Yeah. So it's kind of he. He was such a cool teammate, such a great guy, um, and he had had some concussion issues, um, and that was kind of the era where stuff was a little yeah. more loose, uh, <laughs> to say the least. So um, I threw him. I threw an out behind him uh, a little bit, and he spun back and he caught it. I think we were playing the Chargers. This is after you were gone from the Chargers the next year, but. He spun back. He caught the out. He got hit. I mean, it wasn't terribly my fault, but he landed on his head. Um, and if that throw had been in front of him, you know, it wouldn't have happened um, the way it did. And he was, you know, doing this deal and oh. out cold, just bad. And that was like the third time I'd seen him like that, you know. So he, he was just – he struggled with it a lot. Um, but I have in my possession today – so he came back to do his big press conference and retire – that spring, we had at the end of OTAs, the fun day, we had played a softball game. Yeah. We were teammates and we had shirts made up for the whole day. Herm Edwards did. And, and we had this fun thing and we won. We talked a lot of shit. So that he's cleaning out his locker. I'm sitting in there after his press conference. You know, this is six months after probably that happened. He signs it to Brooks. Thanks for helping me go out with a bang. Wayne oh. on the jersey <laughs> so um that's one of my you know cool possessions that i have that's sweet um curtis martin one of my favorite players that i don't think that people really talk about or remember for whatever reason i don't know i mean even in this day and age with social media i think he'd still be one of those guys that was like really unassuming and probably not self-promoting himself all the time which is probably why people don't give him as much credit, even though I think in the football world people give him credit. But one of my favorite players to play against, but was your teammate, was Curtis Martin. Yeah, I would, I'd be interesting what Curtis is doing today. My impression was he was so buttoned down off the field. Um, and uh, I think he dated Tony Braxton at one point. I think that's true. By yeah, the way. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, he, he was like high fashion, knew everybody in New York City, which is a pretty cool thing when you're there, right? Yeah, and you, yeah. you got the city right there. And like he was one of the few guys that was like truly plugged into like the real kind him of the and, social life. Of, him and Vinny and, and maybe Wayne, but like some of those guys that have been there, like mm-hmm. Curtis. And he was single and he probably had an apartment down there or whatever. But um, I think he's been successful in business, but was such a mature, grown man, right? Mm-hmm. When I was – so I was – young and new in my career. So um, he was very kind, very quiet. I would say pound for pound, the toughest player I've ever played with at any level. Wow. I, I remember that he he would have to go in every day. And, and again, you, nobody knows because he never talked about it, right? And, and he was n- never on the front page of anything. He was just this – at that position, it's so weird, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and even like when you brought up his name, I was like, I don't think about him very often because nobody asked about him because he was just a workman. And um, he had like no cartilage in his knee by the end, either uh. knee, either knee, I think. Right. So I just remember they're like trainers, like, I don't know how he's walking, let alone playing. And uh, yeah, the, the year I started um, like nine games out there was the year he uh, it was like his last year and. You know, so I'm sure like he kind of probably hates me. Like if my name came up, be like, "Oh, that guy." Like, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but um, it was cool, man. I mean, I, you know, that was one of those guys that like it was early in my career. I kind of got thrown in, 
and it's just one of those guys that you're like, I just want to play well for this guy. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like, I really just want to play. I could, I could care less if my career ends after this year, but, like, if I could earn his respect, like, that's what I care about. Yeah. He's that kind of guy. Yeah. I mean, when we got – when we played uh, the Jets, uh, I believe we played them twice, in regular season and then the playoffs back in 2004. Um, God, man, the coaches, like, the very first time we were playing against him was just like – this is the dude. I mean, he's the dude. Like he, he had so much respect from all of our defensive coaches. Like he's a three-down back. He's not coming off the field. He catches the ball well. He does this well. He he pass blocks well. Like, I mean, well, he was the guy. There was nothing about him that was like when you watched him in practice or anything. There's nothing about him that he did overly well, right? Like he wasn't overly yeah, quick like super or twitchy or whatever. No. Like, yeah. And it wasn't – I mean, he's strong, but he wasn't overly physical. Yeah, he wasn't like Adrian running around, like running people over. No, he's kind of – and he was old at that time, obviously, older yeah. in his career. But it was it was just like there was just a determination yeah. and um, a consistency yeah. with which he showed up. I, I don't know that I've ever – especially with where he was in his career, like the consistency that he showed up. Um, now, he was pretty guarded too, mm-hmm. I think just naturally as a person – but, you know, if you could learn something from him uh, and uh, you look back, it's like, God, he showed up consistently every day, the same exact dude. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think everybody sort of knows most of the players with the Vikings, but I think there's one you, – you have an interesting dynamic and relationship with the guy that traded for you back in 2006. So my first year with the Vikes, that preseason um, – I believe we were on the road, and C.J. Mosley, the defensive tackle, was across the hall from me, and he gets a knock on his door, and we had just gotten the hotel, you know, maybe 30 minutes um, before that, and he was alerted he was being traded to the Jets for you. And um, I think he had to, like, pick up his bags and literally leave the the, the away team hotel and, and go on and play to New York. But the guy that brought you in was Brad Childress. But you had a relationship with Brad at Wisconsin as he was your your OC, correct? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess he was – he recruited me. Um, and then when I redshirted, he was there. Um, so I never really played in his system. Mm-hmm. But got to know him through that whole relationship. And then uh, Mike Samuel was a, the starter – and uh, I was the guy, you know, trying to stay awake and running the scout team. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, got to know his family and him. And, and that whole staff had been there so long and was so close. Um, and then he went to Philly um, mm-hmm. from from Wisconsin. So him coming back and knowing – I'm certainly that tie um, helped it happen. Was it, it was cool not only with, with him but some of the other folks on the staff. Um but yeah, that was a you know that's a weird thing about the league. Like they, I remember getting the call and saying, "Don't come in to the facility tomorrow. We've traded you. The team leaves at ten o'clock for a flight somewhere, and you can come in after they're gone. Mm. Grab your sh- stuff and and that was it. That's the last time I've been on Long Island. Wow, you know, isn't that weird? That's so weird. It's like your son's born there." You know, you, you get married, you live there. It's like the beginning of your life. And then one day you're just not there anymore. It's, yeah. It's a, it's a very, very interesting 
thing. Yeah, it's in, so in surreal. Life. Like they're just like, okay, you've been traded. Uh, get the stuff out of your locker that you want to keep. The rest will pack up and send to the Vikings, and we'll see you later. Here's your here's your plane ticket. Nice knowing you. Yeah, and like the the <laughs> professional side, you kind of get like, okay, like that's how it works. But like people forget the personal side. Like, oh, you know, your wife's back. You know, you're now onto the next team. And yeah. picking up a playbook, and it's like pr- professionally, you just pick up and you're meeting new guys and whatever. And your wife and your family are back, like, oh, everybody we know now is. So it's just, yeah, it's fascinating. Um, this I found interesting because I, I guess I didn't like really look into it. When you left the Vikings, you ended up with the Dallas Cowboys, and I was looking at that roster. Well, you're with Brad Johnson again. He was here with the with the Vikings. But also Tony Romo was there at that time as well. What was Tony like? Tony was great. You know, we're the same age, and he's actually from Wisconsin. Yeah. You know, so a lot of the Wisconsin fans, even the ones that like me, are like, man, they could have gotten Romo. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was great because Brad Johnson, who was up here with us, mm-hmm. um, was down there. And um, you know, he's like, that was that was the greatest show on turf, right? Like, I mean, I, I know St. Louis was, but th- they were rolling and they were battling with the Giants to win the division and go in the playoffs and the, in the NFC. And they were putting up ridiculous. I mean, my first game there, Tony was going back and forth with McNabb. We played Philly. I'm like, I looked at the bull. I'm like, man, they got it going. You know, of course, my world, Tony breaks his thumb like three games in. And and now Brad's playing, and now you're on, you know, high yeah, alert. Yeah, you weren't there in training camp. You've never been in that system. You're, you know, you get no. It's just a very interesting thing, very different thing. He he's, and you're seeing it today with Tony. Is like that's Tony on TV. Like that's Tony, and he's just um, he was dating Jessica Simpson at the time. Mm. Um, was she around? She was. I remember the Christmas party. Um, and uh, she was there. That was, I think, that was the only time I was actually around her. Uh, Jason Witten was his good buddy, who I yeah. uh, got along with well, who's all time, all time great guy. The thing about the Dallas Cowboy Christmas party is, I mean, she was kind of middle of the pack as far as attractive women. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just being honest, like you know, and I put my wife way up at the top. But um, there was just a lot of attractive women at that party, so it was kind of. Not as big of a deal. How about Terrell Owens? How was he? So a funny story about him, um, guy we saw in here earlier today, Matt Burke, we both played with. So 05, I'm playing in New York, and we had one of those seasons where half the team was on IR, right? Like I think by the end of the year, not one of our old linemen that started the year was actually playing, right? That was the first time I really played in the NFL. Chad Pennington blows out his shoulder. Nine plays later, um, Jay Fiedler blows out a shoulder against Jacksonville. So then my first start is at Baltimore the next week. So sidebar funny story. So the week we're playing Jacksonville, which is that week, you know, it's Tuesday day off, and all the slappies lift, right? I'm the third-string quarterback. So all the practice squad guys, third-string quarterback. We got our lifting group and – Will Offenhusel and I can't remember the other one, D lineman from um, – uh, doesn't matter. But it does to me if you're out there listening. I'm sorry. 
But they're sitting there at their locker. I get out of the shower. They're laughing at me. They're like, dude, you got the best job in America. Like, what are you talking about? Third string quarterback. You barely take reps in practice, right? Yeah. You're getting paid. You're not. You're not on practice squad. You know. Yeah, you're active roster guy. All the stuff. Yeah. Right. I'm like, okay, yeah. That very next week, right? Two guys going IR. I'm still starting against Baltimore, who, by the way, was rolling. Yeah, right. Legit. That was Dion was still the nickel guy. Terrell Suggs, um, who's the safety. You know, oh, Ed Reed? Ed Reed. Yeah. yeah I mean, the on. baddest dude ever. Yeah, baddest dude ever. Probably one of the best players I ever yes, played against. Yes, love him. I'm like, I come around the corner, same deal. Literally, there's 30 reporters in New York standing at my locker. The same two slappies are sitting over here. I go, hey, assholes, you still think I got the best job in America? <laughs> <laughs> Any of you guys want to go talk to Sal Palantonio? <laughs> and uh, that that didn't go great. Um but uh, who was I talking about? T.O. So that year, T.O.'s having his, uh, you know, that was kind of the days of him and Donovan mm-hmm. having the tiff in their yep. relationship. So he goes on the Letterman show, and Letterman, smartass, you know, is talking to T.O., and he's like, so what What about this deal with Donovan? And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, would you rather have Brooks Bollinger as your quarterback? And oh. T.O. goes, I don't know who that is. <laughs> <gasps> no. So Berkey texts me. He's like, doesn't know who that is or something, whatever. So then fast forward, things didn't go great for the limited time I played in Dallas, but I did throw T.O. a touchdown pass. And he was actually cool to me. Like I, I got al- along with him. You know, he's T.O. for yeah, sure. Yeah. Works his ass off in practice. Okay, 20-pound vest. Throw to me in between drills, like, you know, throw to me after practice. But he's also the guy that's like, hey, you know, you throw that one better than Tony. And I'm like, what are you talking oh, about? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I don't. Yeah. Like, you know. Um, so he just, he's complicated, right? Which yeah. we can all know. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. so he says that. I throw him the touchdown pass in New York. Doesn't go well. We lose. And uh, I get on the bus and I look at my phone. And the first text is from Burke. Don't know who fuck Brooks Bollinger is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he knows you now, you know. So um, that was uh, that was my to story. But uh, you know, he's kind of like Adrian, who you played with. Like he's just a physical different, yeah, di- just on a different level. Than- well, it's kind of refreshing that, that I think people. When you say Tony Romo, that, that that's who he is. Like it's not a character, it's not an act. He's not on CBS with Jim Nance, and he's not he's not playing it up. Like, he was a little full of shit even before he went on TV. <laughs> <laughs> but he's he truly is just being himself, which is why I think it's endearing that like yeah he's not he didn't go to fucking broadcasting school. He's just being himself, and I yeah. think that people enjoy that. And the same thing with To. Like you see To and all the all the the TMZs and all this other stuff, and you know. <laughs> You know, back in Philly, he's got his workout in this in his driveway with his shirt off. Like, but I've always heard that like he works his ass off. Like, you won't find a better teammate. Like, he he truly is like all he wants to do is win, and he's gonna pull guys along, and he's gonna say, "I'm gonna lead by example. I'm gonna yeah, do my." Deal. I think the emotional side just gets into him yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. You know, where it's like and that's why you say it's complicated. I think if you have the leadership to go like, dude. Shut up. And you can only do that for so long. So it, it but he worked his butt off. And, um, you know, it's funny because, you know, my other kind of weird story is like I left Dallas and I was on the street, right? So mm-hmm. I'm, they didn't renew my contract. 
Nobody calls that off season. Um, so now I'm all the way till August and nobody's called for OTs or whatever. So I'm, I stopped working out four months ago. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like, this is it. What am I going to do? And, um, I'm mowing the lawn and my wife comes out and is like, Hey, you need to take a call. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, Jeff Horton has been calling you, you know, your cell phone, whatever, call the home phone. That was back when we, everybody had home phones for you youngsters that are listening. But, um, so I'm like, okay, fine. So I come in. It's four o'clock on a Monday night. I'm like, Hort, what's up? He goes, where you been? I'm like, I'm on the lawn. And he goes, hey, uh, he's at Detroit. He's my college quarterback coach, okay, Jeff Horton. And he goes, um, we need to sign you. And he's like, what are you talking about? He said, well, um, Drew Stanton um, did his MCL and Dante Culpepper cut his foot in the shower or something and they can't play in the fourth preseason game. All we got is Matthew Stafford. Right, and he's not going to play in the fourth preseason game, so we got to sign somebody. I'm like, Hort, I'm a bag of milk right now. Like, I haven't done anything in I don't know how long. <laughs> what What do you want me to do? And he's like, Come on. I'm like, I can't. He goes, Oh, well, if you don't, we're going to sign Drew Henson. I said, Sign me up, because <laughs> <laughs> Drew and I bet. You know, he's a Michigan guy and whatever else. And I was like, I'll do it. You know, I'm not going to let Drew take this chance. So that's four o'clock, seven thirty. I'm on a flight to Detroit. Okay, oh. I call a kid I know at high school, St. Thomas Academy. I'm like, "Do you have a football?" Yes. Okay, meet me at this park. I throw for like a half hour just to like make sure I can remember. Still do it, yeah. yeah. I mean, literally got off the couch and just licked yeah. the fingers. And so I'm on a flight. I get to Detroit Monday night at like ten. Tuesday morning, I meet Scott Linehan for the first time, who I'd never met, never been in his system at all, learn the offense, go practice Tuesday, fly to Buffalo Wednesday, play three and a half quarters on Thursday in the fourth preseason Damn. Yeah. So, like, that's the NFL, right? Like, especially in quarterback, like, that's it, you know? And um, and then they cut me Friday. Yeah. Yeah. and, but, you, and you knew that was going to be the case, right? I, I knew I was going to get cut. I hoped they would have signed me at the end yeah, because that's yeah. what sprung me to the UFL. Yeah. And I was MVP of the league. Yep. And they got to the end of the year and Schwartz, Dick, yeah. okay? Jim Schwartz. Dick, okay? Get to the end of the year. He signs Patrick Ramsey to hold the clipboard. I'm like, you got two games left. You're out of it. Yeah. I, I tried hard. I, I did all the right things. I was, you know, and yeah. it was a few days, but like, come on. Yeah, come on, dude. Sign me to hold. And I love Patrick. I was actually with Patrick, you know, way back at the Jets too, but like, come on. And that, that takes me off. Yeah, that's interesting, dude. Yeah. It was, it See, was, I, so I don't think I knew that story about Detroit <laughs> at all. Yeah. And I mean, I know that it's, I know that that's part of your, re, your playing career resume, but I don't think I ever knew that story. Like, it really was just like, Five days and a cup of coffee. Yeah, it was three a and weird... a half, three quarters, whatever it was. Well, I think the first game. time, like you know, the first day of practice, I think Bacchus is that the Jeff Bacchus, yeah, yeah. I think it was literally like, did we sign somebody from the accounting department to come down and play quarterback? Yeah. You know, because you know who the heck is this six yeah. one yeah. and a half uh, out of shape guy? So, but I played well, and that's what that's what. That's what led me to the um, to the UFL. UFL. Yeah, yeah, you killed it there, and you guys won a championship. Um, we'll wind this thing down. 
I want to ask you one final question about a player that you had exposure to, and maybe it wasn't a lot, but he's a wrecking ball in the NFL, and that's Aaron Donald. You were with him at Pitt. Um, maybe not quite the same guy that he is now, but what do you remember about Aaron Donald? Oh, he was a bad dude. I mean, he is quiet, nice young man, you know, but literally we'd have, we'd do like ones versus ones, two minute drill, whatever mm-hmm. we're doing. And I tell Paul, like, you got to take him out because we can't get anything done. Because he just wrecked everything. He just wrecked everything. And, and, and you'd go in and slow the tape down and be like, he's offsides, you know, because you're watching it live and he's sacking our quarterback. Tom Savage was a quarterback at the time. And you're like, he's offsides. He's off, he's clearly offsides. Yeah. And then you go put the tape on. And you're like, nope. No. He's just literally that much quicker than everybody. Man, he is just so gifted. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around. Like at the time, you didn't you knew he's good, but you're like, yeah, there's just like our center's bad, or you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's hard. I think it's hard to whenever you. I think we're all guilty of this. No matter what company or team that you're on, like when you look at your your little operation, there's no way that, and maybe you did, but maybe at, at that time. Like, here we are with the University of Pitt. We're the Pitt Panthers, and we've got this nose tackle three technique that, you know, is pretty damn good at our level. But, like, did you ever think that he's going to be the freaking defensive MVP, multiple-time defensive MVP and unblockable to NFL offensive linemen? Yeah. No, no. I, I mean, that's, that's a hard thing to wrap your head around, even when you're watching, like, hey, this guy's phenomenal. But to think that he was going to translate into what he is now is ridiculous. Yeah. And yeah, you know, we had a lot of talent on that team, and that was that was when um, the paternal stuff was happening at Penn State. So we, Pitt really got one year, I think, where because Penn State, I I haven't seen many schools that people are as loyal and as mm-hmm. just people love that place. Mm-hmm. Like kids get recruited by there, they're like it's hard to compete with Penn State, even in the Big Ten, but especially when you're um, ACC, but. We had we ended up with a talented group in that class, and you know, so there's a lot of these guys that ended up playing. See, so it, it all becomes a relative, right? right? And um, he, but he was one that it's not like he was that good. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. It, even when he's that good, it's still hard to go to your point that it's going to translate at the level it's translated. Yeah, it's sick, man. I mean, it's. I'm just – it's another one of these kids. It's just like – I mean, he's just a good human too, right? And you're just happy for him. Yeah. It's like yeah, – Those are the guys you can be happy for. Like he he works his ass off, which A, you can respect anybody that works hard, whether you're a five-star, no-star, you know, a starter or a backup. Like show me that you work hard. Show me that this matters to you. I can respect that. So he checks that box. He's phenomenally talented. He works his craft so he doesn't rest on his laurels and just – think that he's just going to beat the next guy without working at it. Um, and he's a good person. You're like, God damn. Like, but, and you know, like coaches and players, like you watch from afar and there's always imposters, right? That always, you just yeah. know yeah. that are like, he's really kind of faking it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. he's just in the right system or just, he just, he's just kind of a freak of nature, you know? And you're happy because there's plenty of guys that are really talented that it doesn't work out and they fall through mm-hmm. the cracks or they never quite get in the right fit. Um, so when you see a guy that's that authentically legit, 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Just kind of get the credit that 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 he deserves. Um, it's pretty cool because it is. There's yeah. nothing phony about it. It's actually when he got hurt, right? The end of this year, he had the ribs. Mm-hmm. It's like, I didn't, it's kind of like takes you back. You're like, I didn't know you could get hurt. Oh, know? right. I, I thought you were immortal. You're hurt? <laughs> Come on. Uh, well, dude, this has been awesome. This is the reason why I wanted to have you on and why I was like, dude, don't worry about like, you you were so um, humble about wanting to come on. You're like, I don't. What am I? There's nothing interesting about me, dude. You've had such an interesting life. Um, I don't want to end the conversation without um, congratulating you again. You work at Bell Bank. You just got a promotion. Congratulations. Thank dude. you. You're, you're killing it. I mean, again, no surprise. I know. I know. Maybe on the outside looking in, people are going like, Oh, well, he was successful in high school and college and the NFL, and of course he'd be successful in uh, in banking and and financial uh, services, but. I know that had its had its uh, a rocky road as well, and I know that you work your freaking tail off. Um, so congratulations, thank you um, on your promotion. Um, and again, I want to thank everybody for subscribing, for listening. Um, hit that like button, give me some feedback. Again, I say it all the time: uh, I am thin-skinned, so be careful with your comments. <laughs> it's kind of apropos to what Brooks and I were talking about earlier, but no, I really do sincerely your, uh, honor your feedback, whether it's good or bad. Um, I do look at them and uh, and I take it constructively. Uh, I want to thank Dave Yeager. Uh, he's the he's the magic man behind the scenes, making all this sound sound great. Uh, pick and shovelware. It's pickandshovelware.com. Uh, promo code Lieber L E B E R for twenty percent off your first order. Uh, Wexford Harbor Insurance Brokers. Uh, Pat Kelly and his staff. Forty. He's got forty companies that he works with that can find the best value for you. That's Wexford Harbor. Dot com to find him. And also uh, Douglas and Todd Bourbon. Couldn't do without Douglas and Todd. Uh, always continue uh, to thank them for their support. Best bourbon in the freaking nation. Gold medal winner. International Spirits Competition in San Francisco. Uh, the world thinks so. Minnesota thinks so. And I think so. So thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next week. Bye.